start. Justin, if you want to, how you came up with this. Um, you do farm, right? As, yeah. As well. Yeah, I helped my dad and uncle on on uh, on the family farm there as well. But I don't know how far back we want to go on when I met Matt. I think it was at uh, trying to think what restaurant that was somewhere in Southern well, Illinois. It was the Cracker Barrel. Ah, uh, the Cracker Barrel. Yes, <laughs> in Southern Illinois. I had gotten a call from my manager telling me, "Good news, you're going to get a trainee." And I thought, "Oh, great." <laughs> so we've come a long ways since then. So we, we obviously met each other through uh, through working with DeKalb and Asgrove. But, you know, we've been reading about uh, the hemp business since the 2018 Farm Bill, which kind of changed things and opened opened this opportunity up, especially in the state of Wisconsin. And, you know, we, we were pretty close to potentially pulling the trigger a year earlier, but um, the timeline for licensing through DadCap had already closed. And I think that was probably a good thing. We probably weren't quite ready yet. Gave us a whole nother year to research and, and plan out our strategy. In doing so, we, you know, we, we had a lot of the things that you need to get started initially at a pretty low cost to us, right? So we had some land already at, at my place and it, we knew it was going to be pretty productive because it was an old pasture. So we we're we're confident that you know that cost is going to be minimal on land and fertilizer. We <clears throat> obviously have some know-how being in the agronomy field or it, you know egg field as a whole, so we have connections there with with places that like you guys work for and people that can help us there. And then we also had some of the equipment that we needed, obviously, uh, that I could potentially borrow or you know work with uh, with people we know, and then. The barn is the is kind of the other thing where we, you know it's a little bit like tobacco where you're you're kind of hang drying the product the finished product and yeah. you you need a space fairly large to be able to do that so we had some of those components already there which really helped drive us to make the decision to to move forward with it I think so this is your first year right growing yes this this yep. is our first year and, and it, to add to what Justin said I think last winter we sat in a lot of meetings. And heard a lot of experiences on year one production. And the biggest takeaways I had, I think we had, was what not to do. Sure. I mean, there's, there's every, everybody knows how to grow up, you know, decent crop of corn, decent crop of beans, what you have to do, what boxes to check to make, to set yourself up for success. Hemp, you know, it, those same boxes are there, but there's also things that you need to make sure operationally you're not getting in over your head. And the number one takeaway was, Less is more. I mean, sure. Widen the rows, drop the population, and uh, and I'm I feel very fortunate that we did those things because it's it's been a high management, labor intensive crop as we we came to understand, listen to other people's stories. So uh, not being behind the eight ball production wise is definitely a benefit to to hearing other people's stories of success and uh, and the failure. So just to put in perspective, let's let's give the audience a size or a parcel size of how. You know, how many acres or one acre, how big is your hemp field? It's basically just rounded to one acre, essentially, okay. is what we're looking at right now. And within that one acre, we planted a little over 700 plants, or we transplanted a little over 700 plants. I think we probably have a final stand right around 700, as not all of them made it, and a few water issues. The one one thing we, we saw that's very obvious is that Although hemp loves water and needs water, it does not like to be sitting in saturated soil. So it, it likes 
to have plentiful water and be watered often or rained often, but it also needs very well-drained soil, um, or otherwise you, you see significant um, um, reduction in plant growth sure. over time. So that, that was a pretty key learning for us, I think, in this process. And, and as you're looking for places to plant hemp, that's, that's going to be a, a pretty key factor to keep in mind. If, if you have a field that's got a lot of low spots or wet holes, that is not going to be a target sure. area for hemp. So you said you transplanted them. When you got the plants, was there was there some quality issue on some that were maybe a little dried up or you know quality that didn't make it? Yeah, we we um, took a very specific approach or mindset that we wanted to keep costs low, and we were going to put some sweat equity into things. So we started from uh, seeds directly, and yeah. we uh, we tried to build a mini greenhouse in our in my garage essentially. Um, so we, we built racks and got pots and potting soil and built a suspension system for some LED lights and got some heat in there and water. So we, we did start from seed and planted each individual plant or each individual seed. I think we planted that around April 20th, 21st, somewhere around there. It was cold. It was very cold, which was a challenge as well. But uh, we planted all of those. And then about you know a month and ten days later is when we we transplanted them when they're about six to eight inches tall and and the weather outside was was cooperating and the ground conditions were fit. So I've heard seed. So you start with seed. Like what I mean is that stuff pretty costly? You know as far as per seed or I don't know if there's a number you could say per plant what it would cost to even get it going. So I would I would say that there's a lot of fluctuation in input costs, especially around seed, just due to demand and and production and carryover. Last year, I, when we purchased, I think things were a little bit down. But a year ago, I mean, there were people paying almost two bucks for one seed, and I think depending on whether you were geared towards CBG or a, a higher some of these uh, higher demand seed strains, mm-hmm. they they might have garnered a higher price. But I would say that. Around the time we purchased, you could expect to pay anywhere from eighty-five cents to a buck a, a seed. Last year, even you know, definitely a lot more than that. I think that number will probably tend to come down a little bit, depending on who you're working with. Sure, there is a in this industry, there are a lot of I don't want to say bad actors, but there's a lot of less reputable people that are trying to a little shadiness offset their risk or offset their losses. There's been a lot of a lot of loss in this as people have jumped in and there, there's a glut of, you know, activity and supply and demand and, and things are just moving or up and down so much that, that people try and, you know, if, if they got kind of the short end of things on a, on a particular deal, they're going to try and offset that loss on somebody else. And there's a lot of that going on. So you really need to, uh, to kind of vet your, your suppliers and, and, uh, and know who you're working with. And I feel like Justin and I have done a good job of kind of building a core network uh, with some people and personalities in the area that that we've come to kind of work with and rely on and, and trust, so that's uh, that's been important too. Because we're with our seed, our biggest concern was getting feminized seed that obviously would germinate. We I guess we still don't know at this point if it is feminized. We're going to find that out here in the next week. Yeah, uh, we just got we got our first flowers here a couple of days ago. I think so. We'll uh, we'll keep we'll be sexing the hemp probably this weekend and looking for males and. We want to get those males taken care of as quick as possible. We're hoping we don't have any, but especially with, with stress and some of the spots that got a little more water, uh, those can become hermaphroditic, which will act like males, and they'll pollinate 
are females, which we don't want to happen because that will cause them to set seed. And then uh, that will dramatically reduce the CBD content of those plants, which we don't want to happen. We would like a, a really high quality finished product so we can hopefully, you know, make a little bit of money. Market it. Yep. yep. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would just add, you know, on the on the seed front, there's really three avenues you can take. You can, you can go the seed route. You can go the um, buying plugs or buying starts. Uh, from a company or you can go through the uh, process of uh, making clones off of a mother plant and we looked into the clone thing but really without having a greenhouse that was going to be fairly difficult to pull off and and there there's certainly some debate over uh, the strength or vigor or root structure of a clone versus a plant direct from seed and we just thought uh, the seed part of it buying feminized seed from a reputable dealer, uh, which, you know, we did do quite a bit of homework to make sure we, we felt comfortable with who we were buying it from. Weren't looking for a deal on seed where we were looking at lowering our risk and buying high quality seed. So those are kind of the, the three options you have. And then you can buy seed that's not feminized as well, but that seemed to be. That's high risk. No more risk. Very high risk. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I mean, you, I've heard cases in which obviously you can have 50, 50 out there. And if we took, you know, 800 plants out to the field and 400 of them wound up being males, not only would that dramatically impact our production, it would also create a lot of in-season work. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, I can't imagine going out there right now and culling half of our field for no profit. It would, it's mind blowing. I'm, I'm glad we don't have to, well, knock on wood, go down that road. Yeah, so so buying seed in the hemp industry is vastly different than any experience you would have buying corn or soybean seed okay. currently. But really, it comes down to finding it, it's a little bit similar in that it comes down to finding the people you trust to recommend the right products for you. And a lot of suppliers will. The one we used did have a uh, an acquisition agreement that acts like a stewardship agreement, and it did say that uh, we would not, you know, we could have bought you know fifty seeds or something and and cloned them ourselves, but that was part of the agreement that we would not make clones from that feminized seed. Sure. And, uh, that definitely a fair uh, a fair ask and one yeah. we agreed to. So, yeah. interesting. So circling back to when you guys first planted the seed, and you had the greenhouse in the garage, what was the biggest challenge there? Because that I'm curious to that because I'm sure that's a very finicky setting that has to be pretty precise to get these plants off to the right start. Yeah, I would say our biggest challenge was it was pretty dean cold at the end of April still. (laughs) And you're on a cement slab and and trying to get that slab warmed up enough to to make sure you're keeping your soil temperature, you know, at at a minimum 50. But, you know, we wanted to get it in the the 60s, but we're 30 degrees outside, right? So, So we had some heaters in there, but on the day when we were planting into the pots, you know, we were doing that outside just because of space and then carrying the racks in. So it's it was get it done and then try to get the heat back up as soon as you can. And I, I think we we did a pretty good job of it and we kept the soil temps high, but I wish it would have been a little warmer. I think we would have had a better, little better germination rate um, had it been 10 to 15 degrees warmer out because our environment inside would have been a little bit warmer and a little bit more conducive to uh, to germination because you know unlike what we're used to in the industry we work in all these seeds are untreated you know that's uh, germination rates vary pretty widely uh, unlike your standard bag of corn that might be at 95 percent 
these could be anywhere from 85 to 99, right? And anywhere in between really. So, um, so that was, that was one pretty large challenge, I would say. And we were, I mean, we were space limited in a, I mean, it's like a stall and a half garage and we had a, we had a thousand plants going in there. We kind of did our own lighting configuration on the cheap. I'll just say that. There was a lot of risk there, I think, too, and what we decided to do because we didn't, you can spend a lot of money on the lights. Right. And we decided that this is not something we really want to invest heavily in. And we bought a bunch of Chinese LED lights uh, off Amazon for, I, I don't even know, it, it, it was substantially cheaper than we could have gone the sure. quote unquote professional route. But I will say that for for what we spent, I think we got pretty every good. bang out of our buck. We it, <laughs> it turned out nice and we brought a lot of really nice plants out to the field. So I, you know, I'm sure there's people right now cringing hearing what we did and, and mm-hmm. you know, the risk there, but it, 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 we we wound up coming out okay on it. And uh, I think the, the timing of the lights, and it, it did seem like the plants on the periphery where we didn't have, you know, a configuration to, we had a lot of plants in there and, and our, our lighting system was, you know, it, it, we had a certain area and, and there were there was a little bit of overhang, we'll say that, where a few plants were, not under direct light, and we did rotate those in, but there was a definite, you know, impact sure. and germination, and that's that would be something we could address, you know, next growing season. But for uh, for how we approached it and the the amount of investment, I mean, we came out we came out smelling like roses yeah. on that one. So first year doing it, did you have any mentors or anyone helping you out? Did you go look at other facility or plate farms, or how did that get going, kind of? So we had uh, we had kind of developed relationships with some operators in the area, a couple of producers and a processor in the area that you know, winter over the winter months we'd sat in on meetings. I've heard these people talk, and and Justin had too, and there were some names that kind of rose to the to the top of the pile as far as guys that you know, we think they know what they're doing. They they seem reputable, and uh, and those are the folks we kind of gravitated toward, and 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 those are the folks we continue to work with and kind of collaborate ask hey you know are, are you guys setting flowers yet how you looking you know what have your challenges been they kind of go back and forth like that and and it's been it's been good and it's beneficial to uh to definitely continue to grow your network in this business because you never know where opportunities are and i know working working with these guys they call them uh chasing squirrels there's a i mean things change with with regulatory with you know, now this uh, new Delta 8 came out. We can talk about that more in a little bit. But there's just, there's always something new popping up, whether it's, you know, regulation-wise or, or process and technology-wise or end product-wise. There's just always something new. And, it you know, it's important to stay focused so you can actually accomplish something. But at the same time, there are all these new opportunities that you kind of got to know what to glom onto and, wh- and what to just kind of let go. And, and working with, you know, these guys in the area have been helped kind of, They've been help set. They help set direction. We kind of, you know, they they'll keep an even keel on you and, and help you understand where things are headed a little bit more when when you talk to, not just people selling it, but people growing it, people processing it. From day one, Justin and I have really tried to get a pulse on where this is headed and not you know try and get out ahead of that and not just keep okay responding to what's happened a couple of weeks ago, but figure out what where is this all going? What's it all going to mean? What's, where's the opportunity? So that's kind of working with these guys has, has been, uh, has been a good thing for that. Yeah. I would just add the, you know, the other thing that we've been trying to do is network, uh, especially with the local CBD stores in Sheboygan and, and elsewhere. And, 
continue to ask them questions on what their customers are asking for, what they're looking for, what what's the pulse on the business there. So that's that's another key, I think, uh, is in the networking space is to continue to to figure out what customers are are looking at because that does seem to evolve pretty rapidly. So let's fast forward a little bit. So you've got these plants, six to eight inches, you transplant them in the field. Let's talk through that process. Was that all by hand? Did you have a planter? Let's just talk through that process and maybe let's get into some of the labor. (laughs) Pretty labor intensive, I'm guessing. Yeah, that was was a weekend. I think we got it done in in two two days. days. Yeah, and it was, yeah, we... We threw the racks. We had about 140 plants per rack. Threw them on the back of a mule, side-by-side mule, and ran up and down the rows. Uh, Justin and I, the week prior, had roto-tilled directly into the alfalfa, 18 by 18-inch kind of tilled squares on six-feet centers. So we had a square gridded out six feet by six feet with these 18-inch bare soil spots that were worked fairly well. They needed a little bit of work with a, a spade, and we'd you know, dig a, you know, about a six inch hole, eight inch hole, and then drop the plug into. And I mean, we had a, we had four inch square pots yep. that we planted and yeah, it, it, it took some doing, it took some time. Uh, we had a lot of family out there helping. Like we imagine they'll be right back out there this fall for harvest too. <laughs> yeah, it was all hands on deck. That's for sure. But it was, it was kind of fun experience too, seeing everyone out there um, uh, trying to get this accomplished. And I will say the, Rototilling into uh, you know a pasture mix or sod mix for two days will will certainly uh, if you need a, a workout if you can't get to the gym right now with COVID I would recommend uh, trying to run a rototiller in a hayfield for a while and yeah with rocky red clay <laughs> you'll definitely feel it but so it, again that whole process uh, continued to follow our philosophy of trying to put sweat equity into it versus uh, getting too expensive per acre not knowing what the final outcome was going to be here in year one. So that's the way we chose to do it. Other, uh, other options that people are, are using, exploring with, there are transplanter type planters that, you know, are vastly used in the vegetable business, right? You have to have a specific size plug though for those. Um, and they, they can be kind of expensive as well. And then there are some people that experimented with direct seeding, either by hand or with a planter as well this year. We just think where we're at in Sheboygan, a fairly heavy clay content type soil, pretty cold, wet environment, generally speaking, in, in spring was not probably conducive to, to uh, direct seeding here. And I, I don't see that changing going forward, but you will see other places where there may be a little bit more arid region or sand where, where direct seeding will work just fine. So, yeah, A lot of times with that too, they'll use the, they'll use the film to kind of warm things up sure. and, and protect a little more. And, and this year would have been... I don't know, even with that, how cold it was, it, it would have been pretty risky to direct seed. Yeah. So i got the plants in the ground, they're growing. So then manual labor, getting rid of the weeds, hoeing all summer long? or Yeah, there were, boy, I don't even know what the timeline is, but there were. Pro- it was probably about a month where every 10 days or so we were out there hand cultivating, and, yeah, that was uh, that was challenging and physical work. I had my son out there, he's uh, he's 10, and, I paid him kind of a nominal fee to to hand cultivate per row, and, and let's just say that that didn't get as far as we would have liked, and <laughs> Justin wound up putting a lot of the uh, elbow grease in ourselves. Yeah, it was a little bit trial and error on what tools were going to work best, right? So we didn't want to didn't want to damage the plants any, but with what we with what we planted into that kind of pasture mix, there was 
alfalfa with a tap root is is right. nothing right. to mess with. And then you had some some quack grass in there with the rhizomes underneath that were pretty challenging as well. So there's a mix of pulling by hand and and for uh, this crop, you guys are you guys are going after the oil. There's essentially your CBD oil is what. Yeah, I, I would say the bulk of the crop is what we will do. We've we've kind of gone around and did our market research and very early on discovered there's not a huge opportunity for smokable flour. We, I mean, we looked at a couple of the shops and the amount that we figured we could, you know, market there was just a tiny fraction of our overall biomass. So we we immediately early on discovered that that's not going to be really what we're going to focus on or what we can focus on. So yeah, it will be bringing it down to a CBD crude and then probably further processing it into another product from there. And just to set the stage for the audience, I believe there's no herbicide that is currently labeled for, for hemp. That is correct. Yeah. There's, there's a few more like botanical type. I wouldn't necessarily call them herbicides, but you know, those types of products that, that dad cap had put out, but yeah, nothing like we're, we're used to in a normal uh, row crop type situation. So, Do you see that changing? I don't see it changing for CBD just because of how it's processed. I think there's, I mean, it, there's a lot of opportunity to bring in heavy metals and contaminants, and it's going to ideally be used for you know, supplement, you know, human ingestion in a very concentrated form. Now with industrial type applications, I definitely could see that becoming a, you know, a common practice. Yeah, a th- a more of a fiber hemp type process, you could certainly see some uh, some herbicides come into that. The hemp plant itself is very good at mining whatever's in the soil, whether it be heavy metals like Matt said, or um, maybe a herbicide you use. So that's why we were we were very cautious of even using anything to burn off pasture mix before we rotilled it because we just didn't even want that mm-hmm. in there. And there's you know there's a lot of testing that you got to do on your product after you get it processed and we didn't want any chance of anything showing up there. And there hadn't been anything used on that field from a herbicide standpoint in a long time. So we wanted to try to keep it that way. So let's jump forward then. What is, what is the harvest going to entail? How is this going to get done? Do you got a, like a little cricket snippet you could put in here? <laughs> no, I, it's, uh, it's going to be a lot of work. And Justin and I are, are kind of hashing out the logistics in the barn right now of how we want to hang and kind of configure things to dry. But so I do, you'll, you'll be taking the whole plant off? We'll be taking the yep. whole plant off. And I, I, we, have, uh, we have a line on some old technology to, to make that a little bit easier. Um, Justin can expand on that in a second. But, yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll probably just throw it on a, a wagon, bring it into the barn, get it hung, and then we'll have a vapor berry in the barn for the, the kind of drying chamber. And uh, we really want to try and get it down to, you know, what, about 15%, I think, plant moisture, mm-hmm. maybe a little lower. They're going to, they're probably going to intake it around, what, 12%? 12% depends on the processor and what they're looking for exactly, but yeah. But ideally, we we want to get it fairly dry, fairly quick, because you'll have uh, you'll have mold, and once mold gets in there, you're, you're kind of sunk, so we just want to avoid that. Yep. Yeah, so it it's really a matter of, getting the plant cut down in a efficient way. And if you're in the field today and you looked at some of our biggest plants and some of the biggest ones are six and a half feet, probably going to end up being over seven feet once they put the, once they put the flowers on. So they're, they're pretty large plants and you know, the circumference of that bottom red is a couple inches across. So we're looking at using uh, kind of like a, a side sickle to cut it off. So we don't have to do it by hand come behind that, 
with uh, you know a flat rack or a side-by-side to pick those up and then we'll take that row up to the barn and get them hung and then continue to repeat that process over and over so it's going to be pretty labor intensive but i think if we have a few friends and family there we'll be able to to knock it out so a whole plant then gets dried and then gets taken to processor is that what you're saying or yeah once it's dried then we'll do a, a bucking process so getting all the leaves and buds off of the, the stem and kind of get that into a, a kind of like a super sack essentially ready to take to a processor okay. so does this work similar to let's just corn beans do you guys contract product to somebody in particular or how does this all work so i mean obviously with uh corn and soybean grain there's there's huge markets worldwide for these commodities that are that have been there for years and heavily controlled regulated you know there's futures markets this stuff is it's so up and down and i mean we went and visited a processor recently that is literally processing last year's crop still because it moved from another processor that never really got operational it sat there so just distribution supply chain there's just everything is so formative and new in this market in this business that um, contracting is next to impossible it's something that you know Justin and I tried to do you know we're doing our due diligence to make sure we're not working for nothing here but um, we're kind of coming to find out that the closer you have control over an actual finished end product, the better off you are in this business. And a, a lot of these processors have their own label for a produced good because, I mean, they're, I mean, that's really kind of how you have to you have to have vision of that end product. Selling crude right now is uh, what I think if you can process for if you can run a bulk amount through of high quality product you can your processing costs will about equate what you're going to be able to sell that finished crude for so if if Justin and I had a you know several thousand three four thousand pounds that we could process and it was high high enough quality product that they're going to charge us the best rate the amount we're going to be able to sell that for will pretty much just cancel out what we've invested in processing so that's not an outcome that we're really shooting for so obviously we need to figure out where that's going to go and at the very probably least scenario we we have a a guy who's making a product that you know we can convince him that we have a a quality product and and maybe he'll pay us a bit of a premium but probably we want to actually look at getting that into a product ourselves so that's kind of why we've gotten behind the drinking buds logo and name and i think uh i think it's going to be a a good opportunity market for cbd yeah definitely i think when we started talking about doing this we were excited about the idea of just growing the hemp and um, going through the process and, and then selling the hemp. And, hey, if we make some money, great. We quickly found out that that's, that's probably not realistic. A lot of people uh, ended up never being able to sell the crop that they grew last year. So that's why we're, we're continuing to take it the next step to, uh, to get some branded products under the Drinking Buds uh, brand name here going into the future. And, and really that seems to be where if you're going to make – a profit in this industry that's that's where it's going to be as a finished product and and cutting out as many middlemen as you as you possibly can in the process so with you know with us all working in agriculture i think in the last year or two just being out in the country side i'm seeing a lot more an operation maybe like the size of yours where do you see this market going in the next few years or so i mean you you see more people jumping into this trying it do you think people are 
you know, over their heads and maybe you won't see too much of it or what's your feeling? Well, that's the uh, $2.6 billion question. I forgot where I saw that number, but that's where they project the CBD market to be at in 2022. So it's, it's a growth industry. Things are still sorting out right now, regulatory wise. You go you look at each state, there's 50 different sets of regulations around this stuff. You also have the advent of recreational marijuana, you know, some, I don't know, it's, it's an interesting time because some states, it's almost legal to, to use recreational marijuana and others. Right. It's federally, it's still hundred percent illegal. So, mm-hmm. um, CBD definitely is, you know, at the federal level is, is definitely worth pursuing, but now there's new things like, uh, Delta eight, which Delta nine is the illegal form of, of THC. That's a controlled substance. It's heavily reg- it's, it's illegal federally and is heavily regulated at the state level. Delta eight is, is not, it, it is I think more or less 100% legal because it's a hemp-based product and not a marijuana-based product, and it is derived from CBD. Uh, it's a it's a refine the refining process of CBD does yield that Delta Eight product, which is being used and put into finished goods. So that could drive demand for CBD crude if that market blows up. Which I I think there's an opportunity for that. There's also a lot of question marks because when something like this comes along. You know, everyone wonders, well, who's going to step in to regulate it? Or is somebody going to step in to regulate it? How far is this going to go? You know, I think there's a lot of opportunity in it, but there's also a lot of caution, especially I mentioned, you know, talking to the, the squirrel chasing mentor, mm-hmm. mentors that recommend don't chase squirrels. This is kind of a squirrel. It's, mm-hmm. you know, do we, do we get on this wagon or not? And I think right now we're, it's an opportunity that's out there. It's worth considering, but um, I, I definitely do see this as growth. And I think Delta 8 is is going to lend lend itself to that. Who knows where where marijuana is going in the next few years? I mean, a lot of states are making that legal. If that becomes legal federally, then this whole conversation changes. I think CBD will still be around, but I think uh, I think other other compounds will be in the equation too. So, if you know how to grow cannabis products, I think you're you know right now is a is a time to learn how to to manage cannabis, whether it's marijuana or hemp, um, indoor, outdoor. I'm obviously. Outdoor is going to be cheaper. That's why we're doing it that way. I think, uh, you know, down the road, depending on where this really truly goes, indoor vertical type grows could start to be something we see more and more of. Yeah, I would just add on the, the Delta 8, I think, is is pretty fresh and new, and a lot of consumers wouldn't even know what that that is, but basically a little brother to Delta 9 or THC. And most of what I've seen or, or read is uh, about a 60 to 70% equivalency to uh to a delta nine use uh, as far as the feeling you get uh personally i think the other the other big component that's still waiting to drop in this entire field is fda's either approval or non-approval of cbd uh, consumer products foods drinks things of that nature now there's a lot of products you can buy today from smaller companies but if the fda would approve a lot of those things you'll see a lot of larger companies jump into that space you know so think of you know like your coca-colas of the world and and people of that nature right now they're they're not because if they jumped into it without an fda fda approved product you know obviously they're going to throw up a lot more red flags than a a smaller fly-by-night type company that can get away with it currently so out of those companies are you guys using any of these products uh i mean to some extent, I'd think maybe you'd have some experience using these products that you it brought interest to growing it. Just talk about that maybe a little bit. So we've we've done a little bit of market research and product research. Looking forward to trying some uh, 
more product research with a, uh, some ideas we're having. Um, but yeah, we've, I've tried some of the tinctures and, uh, and some of the salves. I know Justin has too. And, you know, it's definitely, it, it, it's built as kind of an, a lot of them are built as a, an anti-anxiety or having kind of a calming effect. And I had a cold brew coffee at like two in the afternoon. If I drink cold brew coffee at two in the afternoon, I'm probably going to be kind of wired and I had, uh, I think it had 20 milliliters, 25 milliliters of CBD in it. And it was really nice because I got, you know, I got the, the effect of the coffee I was looking for without the negative kind of edginess and the, just, you know, being agitated that way. It was, it was calming yet, you know, raised my alertness level. I, th- I think that's a lot of the CBD products are, they're seen as an anti-inflammatory. They're seen as anti-anxieties. There's a lot of different uh, medical type applications, uh, supplemental type applications, but I think we're, we're kind of still looking to see exactly the drinking buds angle on that. I think, uh, introducing it in with a, you know, a, an old fashioned mix or whatever, whatever we wind up bringing to market will kind of help just add a new dynamic to that experience of using that product or drinking an old fashioned. I mean, it's a Wisconsin institution and I think we're going to have something novel and something interesting that the people at least want to try and, and, uh, maybe they'll want to Try it again and again. I don't know. Awesome. awesome. So, so there will be a another year of drinking buds. I certainly, I certainly hope so. Yep. I don't think anyone more can to guarantee, come. I don't think anyone can guarantee that they're going to be in this business for more than a year at this point. But <laughs> I, I think the 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 future looks looks bright, and I'm happy with where things are going. Yeah, we're we're excited to get into harvest here. Like Matt said, we just got some flowers coming on um, this week. You know, and that kind of waiting all year for that it's kind of right. like it's pretty gratifying i'll just yeah. I'll say that fruits it, of your labor yeah yep. fruits of the labor so we're excited uh, to take a look at those over the next couple of weeks and then get into harvest but on top of that you know we've we've really kind of honed in on the type of products that we want to do a little bit more r&d work on and, and try to finalize and get to market here in the next couple of months so it's it's pretty exciting and i think uh you know there could be some uh some good success there, and if we see that, I think it's certainly something we're going to continue and expand. And like the name says, I mean, just hanging out too has probably been a good experience. Just working together and doing this on the side. Yeah, absolutely. I've gotten to know Justin and his family. I mean, we're about an hour apart, but you know, we've been making the drive back and forth, and it's uh, it's been good. We got kids that are similar ages, and my son just loves awesome. going out on the farm. And yeah, it's been it's been a good summer. Great, absolutely. Well, thanks, guys, for sharing your story and uh, appreciate the time today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us, guys. Appreciate it.